The reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might, be, might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Shall we just pray for Bruce? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning, that we can share in worship of you. And we pray now for Bruce as he brings your word to us. Give him the words you want him to speak, Lord and give us ears to listen and hearts ready to receive your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Judith. Good morning, everybody. Are we still all, all excited for Christmas? That's changed a bit, right? Um, so this is the final um, in the series of looking at the incarnation. In the first week, we looked at how Jesus' first coming actually points us to his second coming. And that's a time of, of rejoicing and celebrating that he is going to return. And then last week, we looked at that Jesus is the light of the world. He stepped into darkness, and although darkness rejected him, he came to bring life. And when he does return, his eternal light will shine forever. And this week we're continuing, um, taking a jumping off point again from uh, John chapter 1. And this week we're looking at the word becomes flesh. See, in John chapter 1 it says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word represents something eternal, that it is God that's eternal, and the eternal God would step into and become flesh. 
And when thinking about that, it's quite hard to understand or get a, a grasp of. And I thought about this in the sense that when we look around the world today, there's things that's happening in our world that's really hard to understand or grasp. There's polemics of two sides. We see that we're at a time where we've never been so medically advanced, yet we've been stricken down by a virus that's crippled the world. We've never been financially as rich as a human race, yet approximately 25,000 people die every day of starvation. We've never been so technologically advanced. And you can get onto your phone and speak to anybody around the world at any time instantly. But research has shown us that never has been a time where people have felt so lonely and isolated. How do we hold these two things together? It is hard to comprehend and understand the world that we're living in. And I think that is the case when we look at God becoming man. Word becoming flesh is God becoming man. How can we hold that something eternal became finite? That something so pure and holy would step into a sinful world? That the incorruptible had come into the impure? The light would step into darkness and life would face death? We should be in shock, awe and wonder of what really happened when the word became flesh. But what does it mean, the word became flesh? We're going to look at three points today. What does it mean? Why does it mean? And where does that leave us today? So what happened when man became flesh? Well, in Philippians 2, this is what it says, verses 6 to 8. It says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death at the cross. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus had equality with God. It tells us that his status was God. But he didn't want that for his own advantage. Rather, he gave that advantage up, that status up, and became a servant. It said he made himself nothing. That doesn't mean he gave anything up or become less. But he gave up his privilege and his status as God. To become human, to become a servant. You see, Jesus, he didn't give up his divinity, but he took on all humanity. And in every way was like his mother, human, and in every way was like his father, God. He gave up his throne for a stable, holiness for dirt, peace for chaos, and love for hostility. See, when Jesus was born, that were a voluntary birth. He'd choose to come into this world. And one of the reasons I think why we struggle to grasp what really happened is because at Christmas we romanticise his birth, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We'll get some little kids up, one's dressed as a donkey, one's dressed as a sheep. We all sing a nice song. 
And it's quite a joyful and, and nice, clean event. Now, I've had the privilege. I've never been at a birth in my life. And I do say it's a privilege. <laughs> and my prayer to God is that I'll never be at one. Because when we look at Jesus's birth, it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's loving. Now, those who've been to a birth know that's not what it's like. There's crying, there's pain, there's blood, there's dirt, there's anxiety. It's not a nice affair. There's no painkillers when Jesus was born. There's no an anesthetic. The God was born into a, a chaotic scene. A scene of confusion. Peter Mead said this. When Jesus voluntarily became and was born and humbled himself, he chose to humiliate himself and humble in himself. The God of all creation was born into destruction and pain. He humiliated himself by giving up his status, by humbling himself. And that's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to, to, to grasp that. And I'm thinking as well about this. What if you came round to my house tomorrow and saw that we're getting my drains cleaned? And you went, looks a bit like Queen Elizabeth, that. Yep. She's given up her position now. She no longer wants to be queen. She's going to be my drain cleaner. Well, you'd have two responses, wouldn't you? The first one would be, kind of queen's that? What kind of queen would step down from that position to come serve you? Or it would be another one, wouldn't it? You'd rush over and say, what are you doing, queen? Come on, get up. This isn't what you should be doing. You're humiliating yourself. Do you not know that you're the queen? Let me take care of that. You see, by Jesus becoming a man and being born into this world, is a real stumbling block. Listen to what Augustine says. He said, man's maker made man that he, ruler of stars, might nurse his mother's breast. The bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light will sleep, the way be tied on its journey, the truth that might be accused of false witness, the teacher beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the heel might be wounded and light might die. This is a real stumbling block that God will take on human form and do human things. I was talking to a pastor this week and he was telling me that on the book table that they have in town he were in a conversation with a Muslim guy and the Muslim guy asked the same question my atheist friend asked me not so long ago. You're telling me that God went to the toilet. Do you see the stumbling block and amazement that it truly is? That God will take on humanity. That's what he did. And in every way did that. What a wonderful saviour we have to voluntarily humiliate himself so he can serve us. But why did that happen? 
Why would God choose to do that? Why would the Son of God voluntarily choose to do that? Well, the first reason is for death. The verse preceding what was read today says this, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than angels for a little while, now crowned with the glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus came into this world on a cosmic mission. He came to rescue and to save. He came to die. That he might taste and kiss death for us. See, verses 14 and 15 say this, Since that children are flesh and blood, he too shed in the humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Humanity were trapped. Its fate was death. Like Frank Sinatra said, didn't he, that this is the final curtain. There is no more after that. And the devil, holding the power of death over us, through fear we've been trapped into slavery of death. Humanity fears death because that is it. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. I'm going to come to die. So that when I rise from the dead, death's conquered. We're not held by fear and slavery anymore. Because Jesus beat death we too will rise for all those who have put the trust and faith in Jesus. The curse of death is broken and no more. See, only a human can die, so Jesus had to be a human. This isn't When we think of that death, this too is a true humiliation. What it cost us to buy back our life. You know, for those of us who have seen the film uh, uh, Braveheart, William Wallace is fighting the English and he defeats them, but then he gets captured. They take him to London, they're undrawn and quartered him, they stretched him, broke his bones, chopped him up into quarters and buried him all around Britain as a, such a public humiliation for standing up to the British. We were going to humiliate you in front of everybody. Now that wasn't William Wallace's intention. But you see what our saviour did? He voluntarily humiliated himself by going to the cross and the worst sort of humiliation. The death on the cross was the ultimate humiliation at that time. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was spat out and dragged. He was nailed in his hands and in his feet and put on a cross naked, so humiliated that everybody mocked him and jeered. 
and he voluntarily did that. It's one thing, isn't it, to be humiliated on your own behalf, but to be humiliated for people, for someone that you don't know. Jesus says that even when we were his enemies, he humiliated himself for us. What a wonderful saviour we have. But what was his death? That's the second point. His death was a sacrifice. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. First in verse 10. Bringing many sons and daughters to the glory, it was fitting for God for whom through whom everything exists should make a pioneer of salvation through what he suffered. And in 17, says that he was sent to make atonement for sins of his people. See, Jesus' death was just not an ordinary death, but it was a sacrifice. See, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that everybody has sinned. Everybody has done moral sin to each other and the ultimate sin of rejecting God. Now, God is just and righteous and crimes don't go unpunished. And the penalty for sin, the wage is death. And Jesus had to come to be that living sacrifice that would die to redeem us from death, to pay our penalty for sin. This is what Anselm, Anselm said. He said, why did it have to be God and man? Why was it God man that came? He said, well, because man had to pay the price, but only God could. Someone had to pay our debt off to God. You see, when we think of that, only a man can pay the debt for a man. Imagine that you're in court and you get sentenced to two years. You turn around to the judge and you say, well, I'm going to send my dog instead. He ain't going to accept that. Because you've, paid, you've committed the crime, you've got to pay the crime. Because humanity, a man has paid, has committed the crime, well, man has to pay for it. You see, see, another one. Anathias says this. He says, What God has not assumed, he could not redeem. If God does not become man, he can't redeem man. It needs to be a man that redeems. But it won't just any old man, will it? He was the perfect Lamb of God without blemish. Blood had to be spilled. And we see that, don't we, in the old Jewish system. Where they sacrificed different animals to cover sin. But there were always some blemish that wasn't perfect. That's why Jesus had to come. Because he who knew no sin was the perfect sacrifice to cover, to cover our sins. 
who walking through a sinful world never sinned. He was perfect in every way. We've seen in that video, don't we, that we saw earlier of that child. And I often think this, that Jesus looks down on such a broken creation. Such a devastated world. A sinful world of people that are lost and facing death. And the conversation goes, only somebody who's going to have to humiliate himself and be perfect and sort that out. And Jesus says, I'll go. What a wonderful saviour we have. So for his first point, he came for death. His second point is, what was that death? We were a sacrifice. Well, what's the last point? We see this again in Hebrews. That he came to be the high priest. So what 17 and 18 say. For this reason he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way. In order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. That he may make atonement for the sins of people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those that were tempted. So what is Jesus doing now? Well, he's the high priest. And think of what a priest does. A priest stands on behalf of the people towards God. He represents the people towards God. Remember last week we said that when Jesus comes to the earth, he's the face of God. Well, you know now, he's the face of humanity towards God. And how can we trust this? We can trust it because it says that he is faithful. The faithful high priest that was tempted in every way but never succumbed to temptation. He was the pure lamb who remained faithful to God and faithful to humanity. You see, when God looks at our sin, he sees Jesus' death. When he looks at our misgivings, he sees Jesus' perfection. Jesus is the one that represents us. But he's not just done there, is he? He's able to help those that are tempted. He walks through this life with us and it's sin and it's brokenness and messiness. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the rock on which we stand. He's the high priest that sympathises. See, he understands loss, death, rejection, loneliness and heartbreak. And we're really feeling that now, aren't we? And it's only going to get worse. I'm starting to feel that. I felt it last night. Knowing that I won't be able to see my mum now. Over Christmas. And she wasn't going to see any of her children. And I'm sure that's the same for us all here, aren't we? We're standing with a heavy heart. That we're not going to see our loved ones. 
Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what that is like being cut off. And you're not alone. He's walking through this time with you. We know what it's going to be like being lonely this time over Christmas. Boy, is it going to be lonely. Jesus knew loneliness. And he'll walk through this loneliness with us. We've heard how Marjorie passed. And death is a real reality. It's a real reality. Some people are facing and walking towards death. But you can see those who've trusted and have faith in Jesus Christ, he'll walk through death with them. They are not alone. It's not the final curtain. And he will raise them again. We have no fear no more. We're facing uncertainty. Jesus says, don't worry. Look at me because I'm certain. I'm the faithful one. Think of some of those in here that have struggled with doubt and are struggling with doubt. Lord, how, how can an all-loving God be real and true and the world's as broken as it is? What did Jesus say to Thomas? Don't worry, don't doubt, I'll show myself. See, in your doubt of what's going on, Jesus is there walking you through it. He's the one that you can trust. He's the one that was born, predicted to be born, prophesied to be born, and he said, I will come back and make all new. Two weeks ago, I was coming to church on the Sunday morning, early in the morning, about seven o'clock. And I walked past a girl out there, working. She shouted over to me, and I looked at her. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 21. She was no older than 14. I said, what are you doing? This is no place for you. No place at all. Devastated and distraught. I came to church. And all I was thinking, well, Lord, where are you? Where are you? And he reminded me. See, see, when I saw that, I reached out to her. I touched her. I comforted her. Then the most damning thing of all, I said, but where are you now, God? He said, well, I put you there. Do you not have my spirit in you? Aren't you supposed to be the light of the world? Isn't that our place now? When people say, where is God? We'll say, well, I'd like to show you where this church is. This time is going to be an hard time, but rest assured, the king lives. Where does all this end up? What's the point of him becoming man? What's the point of him dying? What's the point of him being a sacrifice? And what's the point of him being a high priest? Well, this is what verse 11 says. 
Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed of them to call them brothers and sisters. See, humiliation is conquered. He's not ashamed. Jesus stepped down so he could lift us up with him and call us brothers and sisters. We are now in God's family. That's what it means to be redeemed. That Jesus is no longer ashamed of you and calls you brother and sister. What a wonderful saviour we have. Let's not forget this Christmas. That our penalty has been paid. Jesus has conquered death. When someone says, what's the hope in your life? Well, it's this assurance. Jesus now calls us brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son to humble himself, to humiliate himself, so he's not ashamed of us anymore. Lord, let us grasp, let us all tie. Let us still be in wonder and awe of that miraculous plan. Lord, as we are struggling with doubt, as we are struggling with loneliness, brokenness and death, Lord, be with us. Minister to us through your people, through your word, through your spirit. Lord, we need you more than ever at this time. And we know that you are faithful. You are wonderful. You are trustworthy. You are magnificent. You are beautiful and you are love. And Lord, we need that more than ever now. So be with us, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Amen.